0: Hey, 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 world, and welcome to the What You Got Podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. I'm Jordan Palmer, joined as always by Charlie Bud, and today <laughs> we are getting educational. We're going to change it up, and instead of being on the same page from the jump, we're going to try to bring the other up to speed on a single topic. Bud, looks like I'm kicking this off. So today I get to ask myself the question, What You Got? And for you, Charlie, today I have chess that's right the age-old game of skill and strategy brought to life and brought back to life i should say during the pandemic by netflix's the queen's gambit and so i figured this would be something that maybe you'd be interested in uh what do you know about chess just right off the bat there bud
1: uh the basics you know i know all the pieces and how they can kind of move um and i know like some basic strategy like i know that the the main like kind of like how you want to base your strategy I guess is you want to kind of control the center of the board um so I mean I don't know maybe you're maybe I'm wrong there but I I read that when I was like trying to get into chess and I still want to um (laughs) it's just like you know it's going to be one of those things I eventually do (laughs)
0: I I feel that I feel that dude I like literally it's funny after watching the Queen's Gambit I was so into chess and then I gradually like kind of stopped but I was just Mm -hmm. researching this and I was like why do I why do I not play this like I like I used to so (laughs) I'd love to play chess more.
1: I think chess is cool.
0: I do too. I think it's like very unique. And what we'll quickly understand is that there are so many configurations for games. So Mm -hmm. buckle up. Chess, as we know it today, was born of the Indian game Chaturanga before the 600s uh, AD. Yeah, (laughs) kind of old. It's actually the oldest board game out there. And the game spread throughout Asia and Europe over the coming centuries and eventually evolved into what we know today as Chess. So, I'm actually going to make this a little bit of quiz. We're going to make it interactive, but do you know how many squares there are on a chessboard?
1: 64.
0: Wow. Well, look at you. Maybe you do know a thing or two about (laughs) chess. That is absolutely right. There are 64 spaces with 16 pieces. Each player will begin with eight pawns, two knights, two bishops, two rooks, one queen, and one king. Now, did you know that the pieces actually have points assigned to them?
1: Um, like you mean like each tile or like the pieces themselves as each a piece point?
0: so like a rook or a pawn or a bishop I did not
1: know what is that used for
0: see that's the question it's actually not technically used for anything it's just sometimes factored into strategy because it's like would I want to sacrifice my knight to say take a rook and uh, based on what I'm about to tell you, you probably would want to. So, is it like based uh, on like
1: a importance level, essentially? Absolutely. Okay. There you go.
0: So each pawn is worth one point.
1: The knights and
0: the bishops are both worth three. Can you guess how many a rook is worth?
1: Rook probably four.
0: Close five. Five.
1: five. Okay.
0: And then finally, you have the queen, who is worth nine. And then the king is just the king. He's chilling, doing his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> but as you as you alluded to, so pawns essentially can advance one or two spaces initially, and then one space subsequently. So in an opening, if you are to move your pawn for the first time, you can choose to move it one space or two. And after that, you can only continue forward uh, moving one. And it captures pieces diagonally. This is interesting. Yep. So that on your squares, yep, you know you're across uh, mm-hmm. to take people out. The knight, the knight moves in an L shape, I know that you're familiar with this, and is the only other piece that can actually jump over others. So this is actually important when you're talking about middle of the board, especially as things start to get built up there in order to make moves and to strategize uh, further. The bishops, which start out next to uh, the king and queen, they can move diagonally. Uh, rooks can move across ranks or files, which are the fun ways to say horizontally and vertically. And then the queen, like the bishops and rooks, can move an unlimited number of unoccupied spaces diagonally, horizontally, or vertically. Now, the thing I actually found out was that until I believe it was the 1600s, the queen could only move one space. Like She didn't have like the unlimited kind of uh, movement across the board, but now she is the most powerful piece. And then finally, you have the essential one. As I said, the king. It is the single most important piece on the board. And the strategy of chess is built around defending the king while also attacking your opponent's king. And mm-hmm. games end when a player is checkmated or when their king is placed in a check and unable to escape. And for those of you who are listening who don't know, check is when the king is on a square that is being attacked. Do you know the other name for an ending? It's uh, a, Technically, it's a, a draw, but you know what it's called?
1: Uh, like, what the different name for a draw? I I don't think I do. The other name
0: for a draw. It is a
1: stalemate. Oh, well, yeah. I thought there was, like, a specific term to chess. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what they would call it. No. <laughs> it's like, a good game, a good game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. And so that happens when um, the player who's moving has no legal move to make. So mm-hmm. I was really kind of confused by that, but essentially they had all these diagrams, and so I learned that if you basically you can't move yourself into to check so if you're just stuck and the other player looks like they could just destroy you then that's the steal mate, like technically technically now you alluded to something also uh, very important bud and this is how we play the game so there are a couple of eras to chess starting out with the romantic era and this is kind of the one I actually got really behind because the strategy here is just to attack with reckless abandon and just win beautifully. So they're, like, sacrificing everything in their arsenal just to get the win. So uh, let's just say it got a little bloody, but it was a gentleman's style of playing. And all of that changed when Wilhelm Steinitz, who was the official first uh, World Chess Champion, brought about the scientific school. And so, as you mentioned, this is the principle based around controlling the middle. Now that's principle number one. Principle number two is getting your powerful pieces involved. So in looking at your strategy, as you start moving your pawns to the middle, you want to start opening up the game uh, in order to get, you know, your knight, your bishop, your rook, so they can get involved. I'm curious, in the games you've played, which one do you typically try to move first?
1: When I When I play, so for me, I usually just move with like pawns towards the middle. Is what I typically okay. do. Um, sometimes when I'm feeling bold, I'll start with a knight to move first. Mm, uh, because obviously, as you've mentioned, they can jump over pieces. So, is- uh, yeah, sometimes I'll just kind of go out the gate. And I've seen that from both like, uh, Queen's Gambit, like the knight as a <laughs> starter move, and also just from like watching some professional chess players play. Um, They will do that. I don't know the strategy from that point on or why they do it. Uh, So maybe you can shed some light if you know.
0: Ah, (laughs) see, my research only went so far. (laughs) I will get on that, and I will get back to you. (laughs) Um, But, no, it's actually interesting you mentioned, uh, like, watching other people because over the pandemic, chess, like, shot up in popularity again. And for a time on Twitch, it was the number one streamed, like, uh, form of, I guess, media over video games and things people were just watching.
1: People were into chess. There was a big chess era on Twitch.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that, though. I mean, it's just kind of like something different, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And I still think chess is pretty large on Twitch right now. Maybe it's not the largest category, but it still gets a following. People host, like, chess tournaments and stuff like that, so it's cool.
0: See, that's that's awesome, And and I love that. And it's funny because... The popularity actually increased so much that people were running out of chess, like stores were running out of chessboards to sell. I was like, "Dang, that's that's wild." That, that is, is wild.
1: Def- it is definitely cool. I mean, I know like there's like a couple of people, like uh, I think her name is like uh, Andrea Botez is like a big Twitch streamer, chess player, and also mm-hmm. um, Hikaru. Uh, I want to say his last name is like Nakamura. And he's also a big like Twitch streamer chess guy, and they they host like tournaments together, and they'll like commentate and stuff like that. So <laughs> it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Wait, can you hear what they're commenting on when you are playing? Do you know?
1: I mean, it's not when I am playing; it's like okay, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's it's like when they host like chess tournaments and stuff. They will commentate like they hosted like a Twitch streamer chess tournament, and like they more um, like commentating the uh, matches. It was cool. Okay.
0: See, I feel like I'd be getting like super nervous or just mess something up and I don't like, think oh,
1: the sweet. I don't think the players can hear them because it okay, was like it was, was like online say. chess and stuff like that.
0: Literally they're like oh, it's it's over, it's over, I'd be like no, no it's Yeah, not. like
1: in What's the Queen's game, but I guess they could hear. Well, maybe not because uh in the show when they had like the radio like for the finals, right? Like I don't think uh, the yeah, radio yeah. guy who's commentating. It. I don't think that was being broadcast to the people indoors, right? I feel like it was being oh, broadcasted yeah. to everyone else but maybe not the players in side
0: dang actually i found that you can like uh professional chess players during a match will burn as many calories or more than like professional tennis players and i think their heart rate why is the the stress bro i have no idea and then like their heart rate can get to the level i think like of, of a professional tennis player it was wild it was wild
1: that's insane to me like that has to be like a stress thing
0: Absolutely, It's like any moment, you could just you know you could kill yourself. Like in terms of the moves that you make, that was such a graphic way to say that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I could I don't know if I could handle the pressure. And then it's interesting because obviously you have just the standard chess game, but there's also I think it's called blitz chess, which is just rapid boom 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 boom. You're basically don't even have enough time to think, which we will get into a little bit more mm-hmm. a, a little later. Um, But in terms of openings, I'm glad you you said that too. So there's several, uh, actually hundreds of possibilities um, that have been established early on. So, you know, you have your, oh, you're playing the the Spanish game or the Italian game or something. like. And so it's just all about how you move. And then obviously black can respond with a defense or the Queen's Gambit or whatever it may be. So Mm. I'm pretty sure everybody just started doing that two years ago just because it's like, oh, the Queen's Mm -hmm. Gambit. Oh,
1: yes. Uh
0: how how different okay <laughs> but um no as the game unfolds like i said the possible configurations increase exponentially mm. um and so that was the scientific school that was you know era number two and then you kind of got to this this new era for the the hyper hyper-modern, hyper modernists as they were called and so once again it's kind of leaning into the principle of controlling the middle but it also made that a dangerous place to go. So you had to kind of control it through some unorthodox uh, methods. And so it's ushered us into this, this new age. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of people up and coming, um, but I think that one of the uh, the biggest names is, is out there. We will, we'll talk about him, him Apologies everyone, we had some technical issues and unfortunately you will be hearing my audio with a little less quality, but all good, stick around. So essentially after the hypermodernist era uh we are now looking into world champions and grandmasters. And so I'm curious to know what you know about the grandmaster title.
1: Um I think it it has to do with like they work on like an Elo system if I Or no, do they not have a, an Elo system? No, in I'm chest? a little impressed.
0: Okay, talk to me. What do we know?
1: Um. Well, like so, you in an Elo system, basically, like what explaining what like what I didn't know an Elo system to be. So, if you have uh, two evenly matched players, they, they, it, like Elo assigns a rating to people, and your rating it goes higher. You know, the better you are. Um, and what the way that it works is that you take. uh If you have two people, kind of around, like say you both have an Elo rating of a thousand. Uh, and they play a match together, then you take like 20 of their points if you win, and that person loses the 20th point. So you're basically kind of exchanging uh, points, and you kind of move up the ladder that way. Um, but if you play somebody who's a really high ELO, so let's say you're a 1,000, you play somebody who's a 2,000 ELO, uh, if you lose to them, they're not going to get as many points for beating you, and you're not going to lose that many points for losing to them because they are much a higher-ranked player. Um, so.
0: He's got to Take a second. Be <laughs> one of those. For those of you who can't see me heard that, that was uh, some claps because that was a little impressive, but absolutely, bud. So yeah, the yellow uh, system is essentially a rating system used to uh, show the strength of a of a player and their their skill overall. And so the grandmaster is the highest title a chess player can achieve, and it's awarded by the chess, uh, the World Chess Organization, which is known as the F I D E. And by the year two thousand and twenty-one, there were about two thousand grandmasters, thirty-nine of which were women. So, shouts out to my girl Beth Harmon. I don't think she was real, but you know, we out here doing it for the ladies. Fictional Um, character. (laughs) Fictional character. Fictional character.
1: But you know what? There are some empowerment. What?
0: Empowerment. Maybe
1: an idol. Maybe you know some some young chess player to be like, I can do that too.
0: Yep. I want her to like. If her hair isn't red, to dye it red, and just be like, "This is, this is me <laughs> going full bet." Also, oh I God. knew
1: so much about the ELO system is because a lot of games use that for their ranking system. So
0: that would make a lot of sense. Okay, so yeah, I see you. I see mm-hmm. you. But essentially, to become a grandmaster, there are currently two regulations. Um, so a player must achieve both of the following: an ELO rating of at least twenty five hundred at any point in their career although they may not need to maintain this level or obtain it uh, to keep the title. And then uh, you also need two favorable results called norms from a total of at least 27 games and tournaments, with some exceptions to receive a norm in a tournament. And there's also uh, several like championships that can be won that will automatically grant you the title of Grandmaster. Mm. So, thinking about the player I had mentioned before, do you know who the current world champion
1: in chess is well i would say magnus carlson because he's like the most famous chess player but um i don't know if he's the current world champion
0: well bud you are correct it is magnus (laughs) carlson who hails from beautiful norway Yeah, no, so he was a Grandmaster at the age of 13, and by age 19, he was the youngest person to achieve the number one rank in the FIDE world rankings. I was like, bro, yeah, you're kind of awesome, man. You're kind of awesome. He originally won the title back in 2013, and by 2014, he was the first person to hold the World Rapid Championship title, the World Blitz Championship title, and the World Chess Championship title concurrently. I was like, this man has played some chess in his life
1: oh yeah wonder what age he started playing chess at
0: i was like looking like super young dude he was like a prodigy which i think in so many regards not to say is the only way you can do it but if you start learning early it's kind of like a language like your brain just starts kind of getting wired there
1: in fact actually there was somebody who um i think i probably brought this up in an episode a long time ago when we were talking about like the 10,000 hours thing or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, but there was like a, like a Polish guy who raised his daughters, all of them from birth. It was an experiment with some, you know, questionable ethics that he, <laughs> yeah. he, he raised his daughters from birth to all be grandmaster chess players. Like, you know, he's not a chess player or whatever. And he did it from birth and it worked. They all Ooh. became grandmaster <laughs> chess players
0: dang dude i'm telling you get them started early yeah but it's what i've learned from chess since doing this deep dive is that obviously yeah you have to you know have like a little bit of skill but it's it's made mainly based on studying so previous openings and kind of knowing situations mm-hmm. and it's also a lot about experience experience so what they've done is uh you probably know they programmed a number of computers to you know just be studs of chess and so what gives the computer such an advantage is the fact that it can just play out just, you know, hundreds and thousands of games in, in seconds and just mm-hmm. get all of that experience collected so fast. Uh, there was, I forget what the name of it was, but basically they taught this one program differently than any other program. Essentially it was made to know only the rules and it, doesn't, it didn't have any like a uh, sense for structure or how it was supposed to play or strategies. And so it only learned by playing itself over and over and over again. And I believe in nine hours, it became like a, you know, one of those fully realized programs, but it was just all for the experience. And it was crazy.
1: AI research, man. It's all like what they do. I'm telling you. And the cool thing
0: was that a lot of people who played chess were actually able to learn from that model and learn kind of because it's a a similar pattern to, I think it was human understanding. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the best way to do it. So Definitely opened up uh, my eyes to how I can maybe go about mastering a little bit of chess. Yeah, And so, uh, yeah, so uh, Magnus Carlsen has been the world chess champion since 2013. He's considered to be one of the greatest of all time. But in that discussion is also Bobby Fischer, the first ever American to hold the title of world champion. After having ended the Soviet Union's incomparable dominance, and this dude was kind of like the bad boy of chess, so he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go play the Soviets." He's like, "Yeah, nah, I'm actually not gonna do it." And I was like, "Oh yeah, the bad boy." It's kind of like being like the cool kid in the debate team, like, "Yeah, dude, he like uh, he doesn't follow a traditional argument structure." (laughs) He had a very like uh,
1: interesting kind of way he played, right? Yeah, he
0: was just like, I think like a a little bit of a bully there. mm -hmm. So I'm like, ah, I love it. But yeah, once again, like uh, they talked about how Magnus was very much that same way when he was younger and now he's kind of evolved the game. He doesn't always use the same opening. He tries to make sure that uh, he keeps his opponents on their toes. And he also has like an app and, you know, a play Magnus, I think, uh, like program too, so you can play him.
1: So uh, how much of Magnus's game is like kind of in like these days, like his own creation? What do you mean like how much of Magnus's game is kind of like things he's taken from other masters in the past and it kind of incorporates them in like interesting ways or how much of it is like it is fully unique. He knows the game so well that he's come up with like his own style that people like 50 years from now, will kind of look back and go, this is how Magnus Carlson played chess."
0: I think it's a little bit of both. I saw him doing an interview once and he was talking, they were just giving him like uh I don't know if it was the openings or specific shots from just famous games and he had mm-hmm. to say, you know, what the what the match was. And he was just boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. He even recognized the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone game. And they were like, How? <laughs> and he just he just says that he like wakes up and all he does all day is he studies. He like looks at um just kind of strategies and then he also just plays game after game after game, which is incredible.
1: That's crazy. Like, like his life is chess. <laughs> his oh, life like, He does nothing else. It's just all he does.
0: You're just too far down that like, rabbit hole. Yeah. He's, 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 he's 31 and he's, yeah, dude, just fully immersed in it.
1: Do you think anybody's going to topple him anytime soon? Is there any rising stars that are like, this kid's good?
0: <laughs> I think he actually said that he might just stop. Like, he won't try to defend after this. I think is what the most recent or there's been rumors that he said he wouldn't try and defend.
1: He's thirty one. He could literally play till like he's sixty if he wanted to.
0: But dude, that's the thing. Like apparently there is a very select window in which you're like at your your chess prime. Well
1: you have to I mean I feel like yeah, that's just that's natural. Not even like from a physical standpoint, but like as you get older, you know, there are other things that come into your life and stuff like that. Like You know and that 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 takes away your time from being like the best and also there's gonna be like There's always going to be somebody younger than you Who just has all that that much energy and that drive to look at Magnus and be like I want to be better And like it's gonna become their obsession and yeah uh, So
0: and they have all of Magnus's experiences at least to learn from not necessarily like what was going through his head But they Mm -hmm. just look back and all of that. yeah so, yeah, it's... uh, And they and have less younger. obligations
1: when you're younger, so... Also
0: true, yeah. <laughs> and no yeah. expectations, too. Sometimes, yeah. like, the weight of that would just crush somebody.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never really think, like, when people say, like, you know, uh, like, from, like, an athletic perspective or any type of, like, game perspective, that, oh, you know, you're kind of at your height for a certain time. I think it's just, like, it has to do with, as you get older, you have more and more obligations, and that takes more and more of your time maybe your drive isn't as there because you might be sitting like magnus has been sitting at the top for years you know like yes it sounds like he still has like that work ethic but how much of that is like a drive to still be like the absolute best you know competition Mm -hmm. creates you know like ingenuity and it doesn't really sound like he's got a lot of competition if he's just been the absolute dominant champion for so long
0: Yeah, he's a a bad man, dude. He is a bad And also, it's kind of like after so long, like, is it just momentum? Is it just because it's all you really know to do Mm -hmm. that you're still going? You know, it's like, I don't know what my life would be like without this. So I'm just going to stay with it. But, uh, I mean, just super entertaining. I learned a lot. And I actually kind of wanted to finish this one out with a a, a little quiz. Sure. Uh, These are going to be some questions that I have given the answers to. (laughs) And <laughs> oh boy! Some I have not, so uh let's we'll see how much you were paying attention there.
1: Oh, oh god, I'm not good. I'm, I'm not <laughs> good, good in these it's situations. It's
0: not, it's not gonna be bad. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, okay. Question number one. you are gonna get kind of like easy to harder ish. Oh boy. What color goes first in chess? White or black?
1: Um, white.
0: One for one. Well done. Well done. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Question number two. A little bit harder. The quickest possible checkmate is in one move, two moves, three
1: moves, or four moves. I think it's um it's two moves. Dude, well done. Yeah, yeah. it is two moves. <laughs> I think it's called the
0: fool's mate. That is that was fucking <laughs> you, man. Two for two out here. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many squares are on a chessboard, Charlie?
1: How many squares? 64. Many squares?
0: Okay, there you can see. But you knew that before, so I'm like yeah. impressed. You, you brought it back. Okay. How many possible moves are there to make for white at the start of a game? Huh. 16.
1: Oh, okay. It's multiple choice. <laughs> 20.
0: 32. Or 40.
1: Um. Well, let's see here. You can only, I don't know, this is kind of, so what was, so there's only eight pawns you can move. There's then two knights you can also move to, like, just one starting move, right? Um, But then there's, uh, for each pawn, you technically could have um, 30, or, yeah, 16 options, plus the knights, which are an extra, like, potentially, I think, eight more options per night. So that's another 16. So was 32 one of the options?
0: 32 was option C. Then C. Oh, Charlie, you it was, had it. You yeah. had it. It was B20. You oh. had it. Uh, it, was, it was the nights that got you. Yeah. You said there were more possible. There's only two, so they can go to like...
1: Oh, uh, right. 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 I, yeah. Okay.
0: But it was a good job. I liked where your head was at. It was, it was sound reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, penultimate question here. In which country did chess originate? And the answer was shared. Was it India? Russia? Italy? or france india okay you were paying attention well done well done and then finally and this is fitting what does checkmate also known as shah mat mean in persian is it king is alone king is hopeless king needs help or king is dead
1: king is hopeless
0: Oh, that was a good try. It was actually the king is dead. Oh, Long okay. Okay.
1: King. Long live the king. Yeah. All right. All right.
0: But yes, my friend, that was that was a little bit about chess.
1: Very cool. Very cool. That Perfect. was, you know, I learned some stuff for sure. That yeah, was cool. love learning about chess. It's a very yeah. interesting game. I want to play want it more. Play. right? You know, I've been thinking I've been talking. About- I've been thinking about getting just like a chess board. Like a nice Oh
0: yeah. I keep one on my kitchen table at all times.
1: (laughs) There you go. Do you like play yourself throughout the day? (laughs)
0: Like during meetings. (laughs) I'm proud to admit like when it's on Zoom, (laughs) we'll just be like, oh move that. (laughs) I'll move that. (laughs) (laughs) There you
1: go. There you go. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So having some fun. Mm -hmm. Oh man. I'm curious to hear what you chose as your topic.
1: (laughs) My topic is a Fun one, is it though? I don't know. My topic, we're gonna be talking about getting rid of cars. Let's do it. Getting rid of cars? Oh yeah, baby. We're getting rid of them. Oh okay, talk to me. Talk to me. We're gonna be like
0: literally like I need to like I have my car and I want to leave it. Where do I go? Oh yeah,
1: you do want to dispose of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways, what we're gonna talk about today is how. Cars in the U.S. Let's get rid of them. Let's talk about it, baby. Let's talk about it. So, did you know that a survey conducted by the United States Department of Transportation found that three quarters of all trips in a car are less than 10 miles?
0: I am actually not even surprised, dude. Like, I go to the grocery store, (laughs) it's a five minute walk, and I just drive, (laughs) and I'm like, ah. Well, I have
1: myself. a question for you then. Why? Why do you? Why do you drive there if it's a five minute walk?
0: Because in my mind, I'm like, I know it's only five minutes, but it'd be like a minute in the car, and then I wouldn't have to carry anything. I'd just have it in the car. Do you then.
1: have sidewalks? Are there even like proper ways to walk there?
0: There are, but they can get annoying. Like, get how... like thin, and then not really you kind of got to is it like either. is
1: it is it on like a highway or like a busy street
0: yeah busy street
1: okay because that is like it's like is it a strode essentially like a strode. strode is essentially like not a highway but it's a it's a busy kind of road that has a lot of traffic it's utilized to kind of It's like maybe 40 mile hour zone, maybe 60 kind of in between that it's like in, and it's basically used to, um, funnel a lot of traffic to kind of get people through towns essentially. Um, and there's not a lot of like sidewalks and if they are, they're thin and it kind of feels as a pedestrian, a little, probably dangerous to walk on the side of said road. So. Yes, (laughs) Um, I I
0: do know I do have some of
1: those. Yeah, I mean, I bring this up because, you know, I find it hilarious outside of like New York City and and, uh, some other maybe walkable places that, you know, you can't really walk anywhere in uh, the United States. I feel like everywhere is um, like you have to drive basically. And you're kind of screwed if you don't have a car, depending on where you live. And I would probably say that's the majority of this country. I feel like a lot of places there are, it. you can name on like maybe one hand, the amount of places in uh, the United States where you can live without a car versus, yeah, you know, and versus places that you have to have a car. Uh, I feel like it's most places versus the very few. Um, you know, I bring this up because I remember we were in Oklahoma city one time, uh, you know, early on in the summer and we were simply just trying to, uh, you know, go get some lunch. We were at a hotel, we flew in, we Ubered to our hotel, um, and we wanted to get some lunch. The place was not even a mile down the road, probably like half a mile down the road, um and we could see it from our hotel room even. Okay. <laughs> and uh there were no sidewalks to get there. There were it was no accessible way for us from the hotel to um to to this little like lunch spot for us to go that wasn't like pedestrian friendly. It was it was like you needed the car to drive 30 seconds. To a place to get lunch. We ended up walking, but it almost felt wrong. Like we were doing the wrong thing, right? Like we were walking on the side of a road, semi-busy, not the busiest road, but still kind of a semi-busy road. And we walked through like this grassy field that just felt wrong. We jumped over like some little fence that was in like surrounded the parking lot. It just felt like we were doing something wrong. And that, you know, cars were the normal way of to get here, even though we could see our hotel and it was a five minute walk, five minutes, not even maybe less. But it just felt wrong that we couldn't do that without having a car. And it's kind of like, you know, that perfectly exemplifies, you know, our, our, our you know, the American life. I, let me ask you, you grew up in the suburbs, right? Yeah, I was burps boy. <laughs> yeah you know you you know you grew up in suburbia america how often did you need a car to go somewhere
0: well it's actually super interesting so my elementary and my middle schools were within like walking distance. okay you can walk there in maybe like 20 minutes you can bike there maybe like
1: is it safe to walk there is there like
0: back paths that allow us to actually get there which is perfect Uh, It was funny, in like eighth grade, I I never walked to school, I always rode the bus, but I rode my bike to school on like the third to last day, Mm -hmm. I was like, why did I never do this before, it's so much better, (laughs) and uh, unfortunately, my high school was not even anywhere close, so there was no way I could get to that, but I always liked that, and uh, there's like, it's weird because where I live, like I'm obviously in a, in a neighborhood, but to get to our grocery store or anything, you can walk and you can take like the sidewalks. But I mean, I charted this out. I think to walk down one way might take maybe an hour or like an hour and a half
1: to walk from your high school
0: to to walk uh. from my house to like the closest grocery store. Oh, yeah, dude. It was kind of far. how
1: far of a drive was it?
0: I think it's like. Three
1: miles, see that's what like five minutes, ten minutes yeah. drive, yeah, yeah, and it took it takes an hour otherwise to walk, yeah, dude. kind of ridiculous, right, what yes, about like indeed. okay, so exclude school, for example, for a second okay. because you sound like almost unique in that position, I mean, there are definitely more cities than. Uh, what you know? My experience, for example, going walking to school was literally a non-option. It was not something you could do. Yeah. Uh, my high school was set on a very busy road. Um, there was zero sidewalks anywhere near it. There, and to walk there, it was a five-minute drive from my house to get there. It was an hour walk. Um, <laughs> it <laughs> it would it would take maybe a little bit more than an hour in fact i'm just going to quickly google map it because i'm really curious now how long it would take um i'm pretty sure it's over an hour you'd have to walk up a like massive hill as well yeah. There are no sidewalks walking on a road that had a speed limit of 55 and um so let me just look up what the distance here uh was in terms of walking an hour and six minutes it was 3.5 miles away but it would take you an hour and six minutes to get there and or you could just drive there in eight minutes and there was no sidewalks not even a sidewalk on the street that i lived on actually no there wasn't there were no sidewalks there right um and that's just kind of you know a perfect example i think even like when you're in the suburbs like how far away did you do you have to drive a car anytime you wanted to see a friend or have someone drive you growing up to see a friend or were you like oh, mostly yeah. yeah right like absolutely exactly right i wanted
0: to like walk there that would probably have been like i have one friend who's literally in the neighborhood like next to me that's like the one exception everybody else was probably like 35 minutes if i was to like walk it Mm -hmm. at least
1: yeah that's i mean i mean it checks out i mean like because i needed a car to get everywhere right It, it just made sense and i think a lot of people when they think about Drive like America and like they think this is normal, right? Like they think Mm -hmm. that driving a car everywhere to go anywhere is a normal thing. And I used to think it was normal. I never had any issue with cars growing up. I just thought that this is just how it is and how it you know always will be, and always just kind of like, wow, it must have sucked not to have cars back in the day (laughs) because of how far everything is. From you, right? Growing up in suburbia America is kind of boring because you need a car to get anywhere and you can't drive yourself in certain States until like 15, 16, 17 years old. So you were relying on your parents to drive you around. If you want to go to the movies, you had to do anything. You wanted to go out to eat with your friends on a weeknight or whatever. It, uh, it is, it basically was impossible because you had to sit at your home all the time. Unless someone can drive you and you had access to that. Now, cars aren't necessarily cheap either, right? Like cars can range from, you know, from the low end, like your twenty thousands, all the way up to like a hundred grand. And I'm not saying everybody needs to get a hundred grand car, but it is an extra expense for something that is like literally acquired and $20,000 isn't a small number of money. It's not like even that
0: rely like you could get a car probably for like two grand but like
1: it's not necessarily reliable right and this is something yeah. that you use every day depending on where you live and for most people it is going to be something you use every day and like you know that you want something that's reliable built to last you know car automobile accidents are you know the, they happen people die all the time for it. it's one of the most dangerous things the average american does in their daily routine is driving a car So how did this happen? How is America so different? you look at other countries like Europe, for example, it's just like the, you know, there's just, it's just beautiful, right? You don't necessarily need a car. You visited Europe, right? Like you've been out there. Did you feel like you needed a car wherever you were?
0: Dude, actually like every place I went was super walkable. I mean, I was even in, um, oh my gosh, I was in Amsterdam. No, I wasn't in Amsterdam. I was in Copenhagen. My gosh. Uh, and it was just it was literally like I think it's one of the most biked places in the world. There are all these bridges that come down so you can just bike anywhere oh, yes. as opposed to having to drive there.
1: I mean the Dutch cities in particular are a master class of city planning and, you know – Civil engineering. We should all take a note from how uh <laughs> how how the Dutch do it. So yeah, you know, Amsterdam is like one of the most bikeable cities, one of the most walkable cities in the world, and like a lot of Europe is like that too. I remember going there and I felt like I never needed a car to get around anywhere. And if I in like it's not that saying that cars weren't in these cities, they still exist in these cities, but they are just a form of transportation that people can choose to use, but it is not the standard, nor is it the way that that they build their cities around. I feel like here in the United States, most cities are built around uh, car centric infrastructure, right? Like you look at even like New York, we have this grid layout, right? Like and it's, it's still like, yes, there's a lot more public transportation options and it might be more, one of the more walkable cities in America, but it is still kind of, you know, car focused. It has highways that go up and down both sides of the Manhattan like that like the waterfront space is used for highways. You got the FDR on the East side, and you got the West side highway on the West side. And that's like exclusively what's on the waterfront. What a kind of a waste, right? What kind of a waste that is. So how did we get here? How did America do it? Well, there's a lot of different factors here. First of all, the automobile industry kind of hijacked the, you know, early 20th century American industrial whatever, and started, you know, propping up all a bunch of propaganda and basically monopolizing and conspiring and shutting down all type of public transportation companies. In fact, they used to set up shell companies to that were, that would buy up public transportation companies and destroy them so that they can put roads in for their cars. Instead, this is true. They did this in the early 20th century, the automobile industry, then started knocking down neighborhoods and you can probably guess as to whose neighborhoods in particular that they, they knocked down to start putting in highways and all that stuff so now people are now living close to these you know mega highways where cars are just zooming past and that has been linked to higher cases of you know disease heart problems all that other stuff so thank you uh Shoot, automobiles
0: I people getting hit by cars I'm
1: oh that was also another thing did you know that immediately after world war one when automobile industries were starting to pave more roads in everywhere and getting like the american in their car that more people died from car related accidents in the four years after world war one than soldiers that were killed in world war one for the u.s
0: <sighs> we do what?
1: No, <laughs> yes this is true and it so, cars were better at killing Americans than the Germans were, and they tried, and they tried their hardest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they were out here really trying.
1: And unfortunately, cars mostly killed women and children during oh that time. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I guess,
0: I mean, that they're back in, like, the U.S., and, like... People so kind of- back
1: then, they didn't have a lot of laws that we kind of see today, which the automobile industry kind of got together, set up by the president, by the way, to create these laws to make cars safer for pedestrians. And what they did was they got rid of pedestrians. They started getting rid of walkable streets, so you couldn't just walk in the street anymore. They started to set up these the jaywalking campaigns where they set up regulatory zones where you could cross. And it was a, usually like a 20 foot strip of not or less of lane in a hundred street road. And you can only do it on 90 degree angles and cars got everything else. So,
0: a lot more is adding up
1: than I <laughs> Yes. It's American capitalism. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Unchecked. Page. And another thing that we kind of been run into is that we kind of made it illegal to build uh, anything but single-family zoning, housing, essentially. Uh, it's basically illegal to build on 75% of residential land in American cities and other, like that isn't a detached single family zone. It's illegal in the United States. There's a lot of, um, areas in the, uh, you know, that like that do have these multi-purpose like, uh, zoning laws, but they require you to build like a ton of space because we have very car centric infrastructure. For example, if you wanted to build an apartment complex and some, and some of these multifamily zoning or like multi-purpose zoning, you'd have to build an apartment complex. Say you want to build a, that has a hundred residents. Well, certain zoning laws require you to have two car parking spots per unit so if you have 100 units that means you need to have 200 parking spots and that creates like well now you need this massive plot of land instead of kind of baking it in to like a multi-town kind of thing and that makes it more difficult not to mention that the um a lot of starter homes are becoming less and less available is because single family zoning laws have basically made it illegal to build affordable housing like starter homes for for new families because uh, the zoning laws have essentially required it, be based on like town ordinances and all that stuff that you need to have like, oh, you need an acre of land, right? Like that, requ- that is required if you are going to create a single family zoning, it needs to be like this far apart needs to have an acre of its own land before another house can be built. Well, that's a lot of land, right? That's an expensive Mm -hmm. house. Nobody's going to build a starter home on an acre of land and sell it for like $300,000. They're going to build kind of an expensive home. Things that are, you know, basically like not something that the average 30 year old family can buy. Um, or a starter family, whatever, newer family looking to buy their first time home. And so that supply is getting lower and lower. And that's why we have all these like really expensive housing. So that is a massive problem. And the way we can change this, the way we can get rid of this whole car debacle, yep. is honestly, we need to just change our infrastructure, right? Like it sounds simple. It just sounds, it just <laughs> is. I mean, it is that simple, baby. We just change it. Um, we... So, I mean, this also is great for the climate because it is shown through a lot of different studies that uh, multifamily housing is better for the climate. And also it creates walkable cities that would reduce our reliance on cars. If you look at like, you know, New York, for example, right, it's a has its own zoning issues for sure. I mean, there's a reason we have skyscrapers. It's because of vertical zoning laws where you can only create residential areas and specific spots so they just build up instead of out and creating like communities and they still have like areas of the city where it's just like this is mostly residential street over that's where all the stuff is instead of creating kind of like mixed uh, areas and like towns and across america can benefit from this like you can still have uh, these single family zones I'm not our single family housing with a yard and all that stuff. If you want it, but most people actually don't even live in those, even though it makes up the majority of, uh, the country's residential land. Most people actually don't live in that kind of home. Most people live in like an apartment or a multifamily zoning area, like a city, for example. Um, and so basically just kind of recreating, Uh, or at least reintroducing towns that can be built that have walkable cities, more public transportation, um, and not really building around a car centric infrastructure would be better for the environment overall. And also be better for most people's moods. I think there's been a study that I've seen that is kind of linked to how far someone has to drive versus their like, you know, depression levels. So, you know, if, you know, people hate driving. People do. People hate it. Nobody likes to drive, at least for work. You know, some people really do like driving. I won't speak for everybody. I know one or two people who love just driving for... 30, 40 minutes now with no destination in mind. But I think when you have to tie it into a commute and also as like an extra expense, you're adding to people's plates. It's, it's kind of an unfair thing to not offer public transportation. There are so many cities out there that have like zero public transportation at all. Like I was in Dallas, I felt like there was no public transportation. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I probably am. There probably is a bus, but it doesn't feel like it was, uh, you know, robust enough to, um, get me from anywhere. I felt like I needed to drive. And also in Oklahoma city, it just felt like, you know, there's all these like residential areas right outside the city, uh, with like no ac- access to get in. There's not like a train that I was aware of. Um, and I won't really speak more on that because I'm not like, you know, somebody who lives there, but I, New York is like a great example of a city that has like public transportation, but at the same time, it's also bad right? Because Manhattan is where it's all kind of centrally located. This public transportation is essentially built for people getting from like Queens and Brooklyn to downtown. If you look at a subway map, all the lines kind of converge in the financial district, you know, a place where everybody works. Uh, but, But when you look out into like Queens and Brooklyn, it sprawls out and public transportation becomes less and less of a thing that you can easily get to it's becoming less and less of like oh i need to go like from brooklyn to queens well you can't just do that via public transportation there is one subway line technically but there's one subway line and it's not necessarily easily accessible for everybody from everywhere in brooklyn like for us right now it is a 10 minute walk basically to get to any subway line and and there's only like two or three in our remote area and it takes us all you know into manhattan if we wanted to get to queen's we'd have to go into manhattan and then back out to queens it just like has this sprawl and it makes it very hard to kind of move from borough to borough and it also makes it very hard to move from brooklyn into other plates places in brooklyn because there's not necessarily built like that and um so if we can create better public transportation rest less reliant on cars and create walkable communities where we have, you know, a lot of like townhousing, multifamily housing, where you have apartment complexes, townhouses, single family homes with, you know, a yard and all that stuff, all kind of wrapped around with shops, markets, theaters, you know, grocery stores, all kind of within, you know, a 10 minute walk from any of it. We'd be living in a better society. Wow, Wow, dude. (laughs) Dang, that's
0: crazy. I didn't realize all the things that obviously, I mean, I knew about the environment, but like all that underscores how this was put into place as well as all that it affects. And it's funny, when you first mentioned it, I thought you were going to talk about that new like California electric car law that they're instituting. And it's by the year 2035, like they will no longer sell uh, like cars that run on gas. It's a bandaid.
1: It's a band aid, baby. The electric okay. cars are just a bandaid. aid. You know, I used to be part of that EV movement. Trust me. I have I used to be part of that. I used to be like, yeah, whatever. It's better because I didn't know. I was naive to think mm. that cars were the transportation of the future, but cars are a transportation of no few. Fu- it's not a future transportation. It's, it's, it is arguably the worst invention we've done in the last hundred years. Um, mm in terms of what it has done in terms of like uh it's devastating effect on both climate change and you know from a economic uh, standpoint and from how we have structured our infrastructure that was a bad sentence um (laughs) <laughs> You're good. But no I, I definitely
0: understand that like in terms of thinking about our reliance on them and we've essentially established like all of our communities are based on the fact that we can get you know three to five miles in mm-hmm. three to five minutes meanwhile what does it look like when we don't have also that option
1: think about it like this as well cars do have technically seating for like up to five people normally, but most people only ride by themselves in a car. So you were create in a bus. If you just add buses, that's suddenly 40, 60 people. That's 40 to 60 cars off the road, baby. And you put that's one bus that takes up maybe the size of two cars.
0: I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I've been on buses before. There's always a story. There is always a
1: story. However, I mean, like there's a lot of, um, like sure, public transportation, probably people go and say, why would I want that to be my main mode of transportation? Right. It's like, you see creatures on there. I don't have to deal with that except it's underfunded. First of all, it's underfunded. Second of all, it is just a way for people who can't afford a car to get on there. So in a way it's like impoverished people i don't know that's terrible to say but it's true in its own way so like it's underfunded because of that people who have the you know the wealth and the means to necessarily put like more influence on you know advocating for public transportation also public transportation is better when more people use it because it gets more funding it will be used by not you know the creatures of the night and um you say the of the night You're talking about, like
0: rats and like
1: well i just meant like you know you ever see the the instagram uh account subway creatures where it's just like people oh. doing the weirdest thing on the subway oh
0: okay <laughs> no i thought you meant like little furries out
1: here. i mean maybe but like you can only look at you can look at other countries and see how their public transportation systems sure you get the odd like weird person, but that's just like the nature of public, I guess. Like it's just but the public transportation systems feel safer, they feel cleaner. And that can be achieved with just a little funding and redistributing how we design our towns in our cities in our uh, around that rather than a car. Not to say that cars go away, it's just we need to get rid of the reliance on them. Mm, I feel that, I feel that. And it sounds radical, it sounds crazy, because if you were in America, or even Canada, like North America in general, you'd be like, well that's just weird and dumb. Cars are a thing, it's just what I know, it's it's just what you know. I only ask that you be open-minded and realize that the rest of the world is not like that. And the rest of the world does it better.
0: I was going to say, it's also kind of scary when you think about how much globally climate change... Like, we contribute mm-hmm. to that as a country, and then we have, like, what, 320 million people? Yeah. And the world has 7 billion, and it's like, why is are those... Not everybody can afford a car here, so it's, like, an even smaller, much smaller portion of that. It's just, like...
1: Yeah, but, like, even the those who can't necessarily afford a car feel obligated to because you basically have created a system that forces you to have one, whether or you not, you want one or not. It's just so baked into how we kind of perceive and get around in America that it's probably going to be hard to change people's like minds and realize, Hey, like this maybe isn't the most effective way of, you know, building cities, towns and et cetera, or even getting around like, there are better ways to do it and you just got to realize that interesting dang
0: dude good topic good topic
1: thank you there's a great there's a great youtube channel uh well two really that I will recommend that talks about this topic a lot uh one is not just bikes they are a canadian dude who now lives in amsterdam um he has like a electrical engineering background but now talks about city planning and why it's terrible in the United States. Uh, and then a uh, climate town, which takes it from a climate perspective and, you know, goes through the history of how cars basically became the dominant mode of transportation in the United States, how the suburbs are bleeding America dry. Um, and why we even came in, like why we are like suburbanites in, uh, the united states and like talks about a lot of like the housing uh issues that kind of come up with that so wow wow okay yeah, everybody check check those out
0: i'll definitely like check give them a
1: if you want to learn more about city planning and how other ways we can get around <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my gosh also if you want to learn more about chess you can definitely check out uh chess.com if you want to get your, your skills up there that's where you go or that's where you go yeah, absolutely. So gotta got plug.
1: Gotta plug, got to plug chess the com. chess.com. I go absolutely. to chess.com and they will start learning how to play chess. Yeah, like the dude, basic strategy. Yeah.
0: You seem like you actually knew a little bit about it. So uh
1: well yeah. I don't know like so my issue is I know the rules of chess and then what all the pieces do, and but like all I know is like okay, control the center. I have zero Early game, mid game late game strategy, I have no idea where to take it. I have no idea what pieces to use, how to utilize it in the most effective fashion, and I understand that it becomes with like experience and playing, but like even as I play, I feel like I'm not learning anything. so like how does one you know jump off the diving board? How do you get swimming in the world of chess?
0: Ah, okay, that's a good question. I actually downloaded a couple of apps that I will certainly plug. Well, first off, you can do, like, daily training things on on chess.com. But some apps that I have downloaded are just generic chess, so you can constantly practice. They also have certain mini games where you have to mate somebody and say two moves. And so it Mm -hmm. just kind of helps you start getting a better understanding for the processes uh, in that regard. And then I also have uh, Magnus Trainer, which is Magnus Carlson's uh, <laughs> app. Nice. And he talks a lot about or shows the principles of um, just chess overall too. So I recommend that.
1: Very cool. Very cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That all is. Right. Uh, that's all I got there.
1: Alrighty, Palmer. It's basically all I got. Do you have any questions there?
0: Ooh, I uh, I do. So I guess. How soon do you think, if we were to just actively take, uh, you know, steps to try and eliminate the utilization of cars, or as much as we use them now, how long do you think it would take to make a fully integrated, I guess, community uh, around the country or communities?
1: Well, I think uh, it's yeah. I mean, it's definitely a tough question. I I think it could be something we could do over the course of like ten years, maybe, if we had. I mean, like if we poured a lot of money into it and made like huge plans to, um, I think it would take probably longer, uh, it would definitely have to be localized and you'd have to kind of really go like, you know, city by city, town by town. Um, and, but I think it could be done as like a massive 10 year project. You know, you do a lot of the planning you look at. I mean I don't know it's it, it's definitely a hard question because I don't know how you like change how we do suburbia like suburbia exists it's just that's the way the suburban sprawl is just kind of how America is set up it's propped up on how how do you like go to those people who live in these towns and be like yeah guess what we're um we're going like you like start putting buses out there. You start building up like towns around them, like those houses. I feel like people would hate that because there's a reason they go to the suburbs anyway. Like they want to maybe get like a quiet life or whatever. And to me, like people probably hear what I'm saying and think, well, now you're saying everybody's got to live in like a walkable busy town. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, like you might seem that way in Europe, and like it, I mean, I don't know. I don't think Europe is that loud. Living in those like t- like cities or towns, even they're just walkable, and you can have like a walkable town. Like you know, my hometown, uh, there's definitely like it. It feels walkable there. It's like a college campus, right, Princeton, and but there's not a lot of like housing. There's like definitely like an apartment complex, and there's like houses that kind of go around the you know the exterior of the town but like you could definitely build a lot of like apartment complexes on like on top of those shops there like nice ones and like this huge complex and like i don't know you can knock down some roads and like just put other stuff there you know like it's definitely like possible and then like you could still have like those suburbs it's just creating more housing opportunities for um actual towns like in creating walkable, livable communities. Uh, because now I feel like people, you know, and then that would eventually bring people back in from the suburbs, because if you want to live in like a town right now, like your hometown, like, is there like a downtown where people like could live and just like walk around that town? Or was it basically you had to live in a house somewhere or like a townhouse complex
0: yeah so like uh kind of the, the latter so mm. we were in our neighborhoods but we were far away from kind of like all of our basic stores and whatnot mm-hmm. and there were some townhomes and everything kind of in those more urban areas but there weren't really opportunities to go yeah there unless you had your, your
1: i feel like princeton was unique because it is a college town so like it felt a little walkable and there are like apartment complexes obviously for like students and stuff uh like right in town um but yours like it, it is it not just like a giant like strip mall kind of like that's your like town area or do you actually have like a place you can go drive in park your car and walk around and like go to like shops and stuff
0: oh we don't have that now
1: that is not yeah cool. so like you could you know get rid of the strip mall take the land that it has and build up like an actual town with shops apartment complexes, all that stuff. And then eventually like people like in, in the suburbs, cause they want to live in that town for whatever reason, but they feel like they have to live in the suburbs and have a car. And then like, eventually that would just, you know, be, Oh, you know, sapped away. People would leave. They'd knock that stuff down. Maybe put other stuff there. It would take a long time. Sure. And I'm also, again, not saying that you have to suddenly live in a busy town where, like, there's a lot of noise and everything. Those other, you know, detached suburbs, single-family homes where you need to have a car and everything is always going to be an option. I'm just saying we need to create towns where that isn't the default. <clears throat> So. I always
0: did like the notion of like the town where you know kind of everybody where you can get mm-hmm. to your post office, get to your grocery store like in you never have to yeah,
1: you never have to drive a car. I always like oh. that. I that was like things I would see and like, why are you? Where is that? <laughs> where is that in America? It's yeah. like a college town. <laughs> That's where it yep. is.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So I mean, I've seen it like in TV and everything, but I yeah. I haven't exactly found that, I, but I think honestly, especially coming out of the pandemic, like I know about everybody else, but just like that need to like socialize, like as humans we're kind of like social creatures. So I think being mm-hmm. able to establish those roots and get to know your community yeah. more would be better for everybody.
1: But. And like, like, go to Europe, and you don't even have to go to like a city. Go to like a a town. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. and then you can see exactly how they plan it. It, it. it it's not doesn't feel like a city. Like Amsterdam doesn't. Not that I've been. But from what I've seen, it doesn't feel like a city. It just feels like a, a community where people walk around. It doesn't feel like New York. I feel like everybody, when they think about like American cities, they think of these concrete jungles with no greenery yeah. or anything like that. We should see like how European cities kind of build. Uh, you can see that they incorporate a lot of that greenery. They incorporate that quiet life while also maintaining that livable, walkable community. So it's possible. That's all I'm saying
0: definitely i agree with there, man
1: <laughs> we can do it oh, yeah. i believe we can do it together <laughs> all right <laughs> okay so i think that's everything or uh i think so all righty so, so this has been the what you got podcast we're your hosts uh charlie Bud, and join with me as always the wonderful jordan palmer you can catch our podcasts every monday evening wherever you get your podcasts be sure to follow us on spotify google wherever make sure you hit us up on social media why don't you let them know where they can
0: okay you can follow us on twitter at what you got cast what spell w-h-a-t-c-h-a or on instagram at what you got podcast what spelled the same way
1: and until next week we'll catch you all later